have your Bibles, I ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We're beginning our, our series this morning called Impact. It's in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, rather, excuse me. You can find that in your Bibles. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, otherwise known as General Electric Power Company, or uh, Gentiles Eat Pork Chops. Either one uh, will work. What we're going to do here in these next few weeks, we're going to take a look at uh, a number of questions. In fact, uh, next week, I hope that you're here, we're going to take a look at why are so many hypocrites in the church? You ever heard that one asked? I'm not going to that church because there are hypocrites there. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about that. Secondly, next week, uh, we're going to look at the question, why are there so many people who claim to be Christians, they talk the walk, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. We're also going to look at the question, can I lose my salvation? What does the Bible say about can a person get saved and then do something or not do something and then go back to being lost? Um, can I lose my salvation? And then really, the most important question we're going to look at from this same passage is what does being saved really look like? Uh, some people tell us that being saved is a feeling, right? Other people say that being saved is a change of what you do. Other people tell us that when you get saved, you begin to talk differently. What does the Bible say, though? Not what do other people say from their experiences. We're going to look at what the Bible says about all these questions. And so, um, if you can, uh, turn with me in your Bibles. And let's just let's do this this morning. I'm just going to read. For the next five weeks, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read that passage. Then we're going to pray that the Lord gives us help. And I would encourage you to do this to really get the most out of this series called Impact when we meet God. I would encourage you every day to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you can read more, great. But I'm challenging you to let this soak into your soul. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Take a few minutes and look at this in addition to what you normally read and let God speak to you. The Bible says... Ephesians chapter 1, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we all formerly lived. You see the past tense here for Christians? The break. In the lust of the flesh, indulging which means gorging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, I love that, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Let's pray. Lord, we 
ask you for your help this morning to help us understand your word and know how to apply it to our lives. God, I'm asking you for the man or woman who's here, who has never been saved for real, that you would show them of their condition, that you would save them, they would turn to you in faith, and that they would walk out of here a different person. God, we pray for the ones who need to join this church, that you would give them the courage to do that and to be obedient to your voice. And we ask, all because of who you are and what you've done, that you would help us to give glory to you during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter 1, here is, here is the main idea of what we're going to talk about this morning. And it's that our hearts are naturally dead to the things of God. And that's why we need to be saved. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen before and after pictures. You guys ever seen that? Walk into somebody's house and they have a before and after picture. Sometimes, you know, those can be rather scary. Have you ever been there? You, you walk in and you're like, is that the same person? And, and sometimes they're very surprising. It's amazing what people can do changing their physical appearance, right? I mean, I love going over to people's houses. And one of the first things that I usually look at, not because I stalk people, because I think it's interesting, is I look at the pictures of their family. And I love going to some homes when, you know, they're, maybe they're older people and they got married back in the 70s or the 60s. You know, and dad's rocking those big sideburn chops and he's got the, the big hair, you know, and she's got the tease due from the 80s. I, I love seeing that, how different styles were. Now, when my mom and dad were dating, one time my mom took my dad aside and she said, we need to talk. And he said, what did I do? She said, I just got to tell you that plaid and stripes don't match. He had no clue. So there are some things that will always be out of style. I've tried to break that uh, sin of my family of being totally out of style. But there is always going to be something that's going to be changing. And what the Bible has for us this morning, this, if you gave it a, a name, this would be like the goth, the dark message of the series. Okay? Why? Notice in verse 1, it opens up and you were dead. Oh, that's great. I come to church and I find out about death. Great. I'm encouraged. But check this out. What we're going to do is break this down. And if we understand verse 1, 2, and 3, that before salvation, check this out, we are dead to the things of God. If we understand what that really means, we'll be able to understand what it means to be saved. Did you catch that? I'm telling you guys, this is so vitally important. You're going to say, now, Jeff, there's a, there, there's a word in the Bible called regeneration, and that's what God does in us when we get born again. You see, when we get saved, the biblical word, it's a big one, but we can get it. It's regeneration, which literally is a heart change that results in a life change. Let me give you a few pictures of what that looks like. Titus 3.5, it's a change of heart. 1 John 3.14, the Bible says you pass from death to life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that you are a new creation. John 3.5, born again. Ephesians 2.6, resurrected from the dead. Not physically, but spiritually. Acts 15.9, the purifying of their hearts by faith. 
Galatians 6.15 For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is worth or avails anything but a new creation. So the Bible's talking about what we have to have happen to us is to be made into a new person. And before that happens, according to the Bible, not what you hear in a lot of churches, but according to the Bible, every person on planet earth is dead to the things of God. So, you know, Jeff, what does that mean? We're going to break it down. Let me give you a list of several questions that you may have heard or you may have asked your whole life if you've been to church a lot or just a little bit. We're going to answer this today. Do I have to turn over a new leaf in order to get saved? Well, look at that. Secondly, can I be good enough to go to heaven? How many of you guys have ever heard anybody say something like that? How good do I have to be to go to heaven? All right. Number three. What makes the difference between a good person and a bad person? Number four, can I, how can I meet God halfway? Number five, how good do I have to be to get into heaven? Number six, can you really tell the difference between a true Christian and somebody who's playing the game? And then finally, um, what happens to infants or mentally impaired people or young children who die before they get saved? And we've actually uploaded an article to our website that will help you understand not what does emotion say about it, not what does mom and dad say about it, but what does God's Word say about it. If you go to our website, we have a Got Questions section, and we have a link to an article that was written by two seminary presidents of uh, Baptist seminaries. Let me give you in short, I believe in accordance to what these scholars have concluded, that the Bible does say that children, little infants who don't really have moral awareness, who die before they quote-unquote get saved, are going to heaven. I I believe that to be the case, but please don't take my word for it. I encourage you to go to the website. If you don't have internet access, let the secretary know and we'd be more than happy to print you out an article. It's just a couple of pages. So we're going to cover those questions this morning. So first off there in verse 1, this is kind of the overall picture. Why do you need to get saved? Well, because you were dead to the things of God. It says once again in verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Some of your virgins may have the phrase in there, you who He quickened or made alive. That's carrying over from verse 5. And in the original language, the only action from God begins at verse 5. So it's like this big tension build up. And some translators said, well, we'll go ahead and put it in verse 1 just to let everybody know uh, what happens later in the story. Say, so what is the Bible talking about when it says that we're dead to the things of God, but we're actually physically living? Well, here's what deadness is not. Deadness is not saying that we don't know the difference between right and wrong. Right? I mean, we all know the difference between right and wrong. In Romans chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, not having the law or a law to themselves, And that they might show the works of the law written on their hearts. So what the Bible's saying is that you can go into the deepest jungles of South America or Africa, or you can go to the far north of Russia to where a communist um, from the old school has never even heard the gospel. But even if a person is born and they never hear of God, they never hear of Christ, they never even heard of what a Bible is, they still have the moral law of God written on their hearts. 
And you can look at that, right? You go to every culture in the world, and most people can understand that murder is bad, right? I mean, you know, uh, things like uh, rape and kidnapping should be punished. Every person has a conscience that lets us know what's wrong. And also, it doesn't mean that we don't have any knowledge of who God is. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, His, God's invisible attributes, are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Verse 21, for though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, and they became empty in their speculations, and they became, they became fools. What the Bible's saying here is that every person is born with the knowledge that God is real. You ever talk to a little kid? I love talking to kids. You ever done, I mean, seriously, like you walk up to a kid and you, and you ask him, you're like, dude, what's your favorite animal? And they'll tell you, and it's fine. You can say, what's your favorite dinosaur? What's your favorite car? You can have a conversation with a little kid to where adults look at you weird. A little child comes to the knowledge of God very easy because the knowledge of God is something that every person is born with. So when the Bible says that we're dead in sins and trespasses, it doesn't mean that we don't know the difference between right and wrong. It also doesn't mean that we have no knowledge of God. It simply means, check this out, that our spirit is dead to the things of God. It means that we don't desire God. Now think back, those of you who are saved. Do you remember a time to where you didn't really want to read God's Word? It's like, I don't have a desire to do that. My mom and dad told me I should. They brought me to church, but I don't really have a desire to do that. Well, all of this deadness started back in Genesis. When God created Adam and Eve, He put them in the garden and He said, I'll give you any tree to choose from. Anyone. It's like, man, going to Six Flags and saying, I want you to ride any ride, but I have one requirement. Do not eat of this one tree. What they did is they rebelled against God. And sin entered into the human race and there was a spiritual death. Because remember what God told them? He said, in the day you eat of it, you will what? You will surely die. In the Hebrew, man, that's like you will definitely, literally dying, you will die. So what God said is that spiritual separation from God comes from sin. That's where it comes from. And spiritual separation from God does not automatically mean an immediate physical death. Because did Adam and Eve die physically in the day that they sinned? No. They lived for many years afterwards. So the Bible says that sin separates us from God. But it doesn't say that just one day you decide to sin and God separates you. It's something that's been passed down from Adam and Eve even until today. In fact, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, "...in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe." That's why some of you, man, you love people. You can go talk to a person. Who knows that they're going to die? You ever, you ever thought about this? This is, this is not a very encouraging thought, but like we, we talked about this the other week, 10 out of 10 people die. Are y'all awake? That is a very true statistic. And, and given the fact, this is a mind-blowing thought, but I and you will be dead a lot longer than we'll ever be alive. Even if you buy the herbal root from the 
Himalayas for 1995, right? Off of the TV guide. We will all die, so wouldn't it make sense to think about where am I going, not if I die, but what is it, church? What? When I die. It only makes sense, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's gonna happen. We don't want it to happen. We don't, we don't, you know, sit there and talk about it. I went on a date one time, and I, this is no joke. This is not a preacher story. And I said, you know, what do you like to do for fun? And I kid, I am here in with you as God is my witness. And she said, I like rearranging from time to time the order of my funeral. 21 years old. And I'm like, let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this meal and we thank You for Your grace. Have a great life. I mean, like, we don't sit around and talk about things like that. But notice that throughout the Bible, it says, and it's, this is an incredible text, that we are separated from God. Now, you, you may ask the question. You say, Jeff, okay, that's what it says, but I've been to church. How do I know if I am still dead in my trespasses and sins. This is the easiest way to ask the question, do you have a desire for the things of God? Not do you like coming to business meetings. If that's the case, you probably need to get saved and get counseling both. But I mean, you know, not do you desire some form of religion, okay? You know, but do you, as Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 6, do you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Go ahead and ask that to yourself. Do I desire God? Do I desire God? When you think of something like church, and we get so messed up, man, in the South about church. We're like, you know, do you go to church? I go to church or I don't go to church. Well, you should go to church. You should keep joining church. You know, have you ever thought... If I just got a giant burrito and put myself in it and jumped into Taco Bell and laid there on the floor and I'm like, taco. I mean, seriously, would I be a taco? Some of you say you'd be loco, but you wouldn't be a taco. In the same way, man, it does not really. And the end result, check this out, church folks. If you come to church, but do you have a desire for the God that we learn about, hopefully, at church? That's the question. Do you have a desire for God? You see, now a lot of people, they say, okay, man, grandma's called me this week. My mom's called me. That preacher He's always talking about shooting stuff, so I think I'll go check it out. I mean, everybody's like telling me, go to church, go to church. But it's like, it's like a checklist. You know what I'm saying? Like, like checklist, like, like chore, right? Like, like work, um, family reunions. Are y'all okay? Christmas and Easter, people you love but you don't like, moving on. I mean, like all of that stuff. We have these checklists, you know what I mean? And we got checklists and we check these things off. And I'm asking you, look into the deep part of your heart and your conscience. Is learning about God something that you merely check off on Sunday? Or is it something that invigorates your life? You say, no, okay, Jeff, um, why is the Bible so hardcore over in verse 5 about we have to be made alive, literally be born again? Why is that so important? Well, those of you who've worked with concrete, what happens when you mix up concrete and you kind of let it sit there? 
kind of, you know, retains the shape that it's in. And likewise, if you die with no desire for God, if you die in your trespasses and sins without a true biblical regeneration, a true born-again experience, you will remain unregenerate forever. That's why the Bible calls the lake of fire and hell the second death. Because it is the final putting in place of the concrete of your life and your soul. You say, no, Jeff, all right, hold on, hold on. I, I, man, I know that I've, that I've messed up. I know I've got problems, but I want to just turn over a new leaf. What about that? I'm glad you asked. You guys are great. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. I'm going to read several verses. And this, check this out. This goes flies in the face of our culture. This flies in the face of what people at church think God thinks about us. This is what God thinks about us. You guys ready? Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is none righteous, not even one. Okay, that means that the most dedicated deacon, the person who gives up and beyond their tithe, God says, none of you are righteous. Verse 11, He says, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is not one who does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep on deceiving. The poison of vipers is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. Verse 17, in the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The Bible says in this, if you just heard that and you said, that's not me, that's a huge problem. But if you looked in that and you said there was a time to where I did not seek God. There was a time to where I did not desire to follow Him. Listen, a Christian looks in that and they see a reflection of their former life. An unsaved person looks in that and jerks against it and says, God, that's not me. But the Bible says that there is none who does good. But you're like, no, okay, Jeff, why does the Bible in verse 1 of chapter 2 describe life without a relationship with God as dead? Well, it's because God is the giver of life. Jesus said in, in John chapter 10 that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. That means not just survival. It means having the life of God in you. Question. Do you have a desire for God? Not a desire for religion. Now, now at this point, people are like, okay, if we're dead, then what killed us? Sins and trespasses. It says over in verse 1, and you were dead in your sins. Thank you, Brother Joe. And your trespasses. And in verse 2, it says, in which you formerly walked. So, the picture here is that every person is separated from God. Has there ever been a time, not when you joined the church, because man, a lot of folks that, it, that I've talked to, I mean, just, just around town, yeah, you ask the question, you say, well, have you ever been saved for real? You know, has there ever been a time where God's changed your life and given you new desires? You know the answer I get most of the time. Yeah, I did that. 
Great, tell me about it. Yeah, I joined the church. Did you ever get saved? Yeah, I got, I got, I got, I got baptized. When you, when you hear the question, I'm telling you guys, man, this is heavy stuff. When you hear the question, have you ever been saved? Has there ever been a time to where God has so radically transformed your heart and mind that you, you, that you now hate the things that you used to love and now you love the things that you used to hate and it goes back to a decision as opposed to the grace of God in your life. It causes into question, it calls into question if what happened to you was really yours. This brings up, we don't have time to get into it, but the sin that was carried down from Adam. The Bible says that sin entered into the human race through what Adam had done. Now, there's some people who believe that all people, when they're small, are perfect little angels. I see some movement in the crowd. Right? And the the, the parents out there are saying, the people who say that don't have kids. Example, go into the store... You've got a mom there, she's got her kids, and she's trying to shop and talk on the cell phone. Honey, I'm trying to get this. And you've got this, this little person who stands up defiantly and says, Mom, I want a Happy Meal. And she says, Honey, we need it. And then he begins to just raise Cain in the store. You know, my thought, this is from Tim Hawkins. Um, I love this. Not advocating child abuse. He says, he said he doesn't need a happy meal. He needs a slappy meal. So, you know, a little bit of biblical discipline there um, in the store. But um, notice, man, little kids are a picture of human depravity. Human depravity means a separation from God. Now, check this out. We're not saying, once again, that we don't know who God is or we don't know the difference between right and wrong. But in the, the little child, do you notice how quickly they go to the side of mine? My cousin, she had this pacifier, and that was not a pacifier, it was mine. My brother, when he was about four years old, my mom said, honey, I need you to sit down. Or maybe it was younger, I'm not sure. Do four-year-olds sit in high chairs? They don't? Okay, good. This will be a way that people are like, normal people don't sit in high chairs. I can call my brother this afternoon and be like, you're not normal. Thank you. So he was there in his high chair somewhere under the age of four. And mom says, honey, I need you to eat your food, not throw it everywhere. And he stands up in his chair and he said, seriously, you can call me. I will give you my mom's number. She will verify this. He stands up in his chair and he says, I don't want to do it. My head tells me I don't want to do it. My heart tells me I don't want to do it. And I'm not going to do it. And in my little seven-year-old mind, I thought, he has just challenged the master. So I looked at mom and she said, really? And then she took him out of the high chair into a room and then it was biblical weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is it about children that give us a perception in us? Imagine this picture. If a two-year-old not going through the terrific twos, you know, it's a, you can always tell, and I love this, by the way, if you're a parent, I'm not a parent, this is biblical, and I've been taught this by other parents, if your kid has energy, praise God that you have a normal kid, amen? There are a lot of people that wish their child would be able to run around, but imagine if a child going through the terrible twos, as it's been sometimes called, had the strength, this is a crazy, weird picture, had the same strength as a grown man. He would kill you. Seriously. That'd be kind of weird, like a little man-child, you know, like this tall, like, you know, picking up refrigerators and stuff like that. But, but seriously, if 
a child who has a sin nature had the same strength as a grown man, there would be massive catastrophe all across the world. And we do things to try to like stem this sin nature in children, right? Honey, you should share. I don't want... Honey, you should share. Honey, you shouldn't bite. You shouldn't punch your brother in the face. Susie, take the scissors out of your hand. Don't kill Tommy. We do all of these things to try to stem what every human is born with. That's why you can't turn over a new leaf. Because, please hear me, verse 1, if you turn over a new leaf, the leaf is still dead. You must be born again. You say, well, Jeff, well, can I be good enough to go to heaven? That's not the question. That brings us to our second division. Not only are we dead to God, but we are deceived by Satan. Notice in verse 2, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. What this is speaking of is that just the question, can I meet God halfway? What can I do? That's a deception by Satan because the point is not our actions, it's our heart. Are you with me this morning, church? And if we're always telling people, you know, you need to stop screaming at your, at your wife. You need to stop getting drunk. You need to you know, stop using drugs. You need to stop doing. The doing comes from what's within. It's the heart that produces the actions, you see. So the fact that Satan is influencing every person who is separated from Jesus Christ ought to cause us to look back and say, man, if Satan is the author of all lies and the Bible says that it's only God who can make me a new person, then it would be a lie to try to get me to do what only God can do. Sin is so deceptive. Like I've had, um, still do have friends, black guys, I've never known a black guy who's been a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Seriously. I've never known a white guy who said, sign me up for the Black Panthers. Sin is deceptive. Sin will always make you think that you are right and that everyone else is wrong. And I heard a great person say this. This is incredible that the first step in coming to the one true God is realizing that you are not God. It's a very freeing thing. Those of you who are saved, you remember this? Coming to the end of your road saying, God, I cannot save myself. I cannot turn over a new leaf because not only is the leaf dead, but if you do it again, you're back where you started from. God, I need you to make me new. So not only are we dead to the things of God, not only are we deceived by Satan, but there in verse 3, we're slaves to sin. Look at verse 3. Among them too, we all formerly lived the lust of the flesh, indulging into the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. You see, now Jeff, are you saying that we can't do anything good at all? No. The Bible never says that we can't outwardly conform ourselves to God's law, right? I mean, the Bible's not saying that the only people who cannot rip people off in business are Christians. Not saying that. 
The Bible's not saying that you can't be a faithful husband if you're not a true believer in Christ. But here's the problem. That misses the boat. We're not supposed to focus on the outward action, but please hear me, focus on a changed heart. Jesus said that all of the things that we do and say come from our heart. So if you try to reform your life and modify your behavior without a changed nature, you can look as good as you can and you can be nice and respected, but if we could change simply our actions, then that means that Jesus really didn't need to die on the cross. Catch that? Why would Jesus need to come and die on the cross to say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, if we could, and if salvation was simply a matter of stop doing bad stuff and start doing good stuff? If it was that, then what Jesus should have done is done something like Buddha. Here's the eight-path fold to enlightenment. Do this, do this, do this. And slowly we're climbing this ladder and Jesus is over there. Come on guys, keep it up. Climb, climb. You know, and Jesus comes along to give us some encouragement says, you can do it. Little water boy reference there for the movie bus. I mean, but that's not the Gospel. The Gospel is that we cannot change our hearts. So if we show up on Judgment Day, man, and we've changed our behaviors, like let's say you, if you've got a drinking problem and you get help with that and you stop, you've got a drug problem and you stop, you've got a, a language problem and somehow you're able to stop that, if you show up to heaven, God's not going to be looking at any of that. He's going to be looking, is your heart been changed by me? That's the Gospel. And here's where the conscience that we talked about makes us uncomfortable with the way that we've lived. I remember what, when God was drawing me to get saved. Man, I knew all of these things that I had done. And I realized, man, I am dead in sins and trespasses. I am deceived by Satan. I have been, you know, dead to the things of God. I don't have a desire for God. But then at that point, our conscience tells us those things and then we try to modify our behavior. Your behavior doesn't need to be modified. Go with me over in verse 4. But God, that's the interruption that we all must have. Here's the reason, we're about to wrap this up, of why we all must be born again. Because we are dead to the things of God. Naturally, we don't have the desire to learn about God. Secondly, we are dead to everything that has to do with God. And we are deceived by Satan. We're enslaved to sin. And finally, we're under the condemnation of God. Notice what it says. By nature, children of wrath. You say, okay, now Jeff, what do I do here? Well, you can do, you can do one of two things. You can say, alright, what I need to do is trust in myself and try to change around my behavior or I can come and fall before the Lord and just say, Jesus, please Save me. A new heart. Because if you don't have a new heart that happens when Jesus comes in at the point of being born again, no person can ever get to heaven. The Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 44, no man can come unless the Father draws him. You say, Jeff, man, how do I know if I'm being drawn towards the Lord if He's shown you, number one, that you're a sinner? See, I went to church my whole life, and I actually, this, this is crazy, I wasn't saved, but I came to church, 
And I even read books on prophecy. Is this not saying if you read books on prophecy, you're not saved? But like it's got stuff about like nuclear war and dragons, you know, and like all of this crazy stuff. I mean, a teenage boy, you were like, wow, that's awesome. That sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I like this. Book of Revelation is cool. But I didn't have a desire for God. I came to church, but I didn't have a love for people. It was something that I did instead of what God had changed in my heart. But notice what it says in verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive. This is what God is calling you to do if you know that you're being drawn by the Holy Spirit. Number one, He's shown you that you've sinned. That you cannot come to God by doing better. Secondly, you realize that Jesus is the only one who's never sinned. You with that church? Can we agree on that? That Jesus is the Son of God. I've messed up. He always did what was right. And then third, if I don't repent, God will give me justice. But please understand that God sent His Son into the world to pay the penalty for our sin. And He rose from the dead after three days so that He could change your heart. That He could make it to where I was dead in my sins, but now I desire God. I used to not care about the things of God, but now I love Christ. I used to be a slave to these things, but now He's broken that chain. And because of that, I don't have to live in my former lifestyle. I get to live for God. Thank you, Jesus, for what You did. And it's because of what God did. And that's the only reason why any of us can be changed. And if Satan is telling you, well, that's admitting that you're a bad person, guess what? The Bible says that none of us are good. So welcome to the club. No person is righteous in God's sight. And that's why Jesus... And let me just be very clear. This is not... And these other buildings that are around Franklin County, this is not where the good people come on Sunday. This is not a good people club. A clean people club. A goody two-shoes club. This is a club to where people who are dead and then God made them alive when they cried out to Him and said, Jesus, can you save me? Say, Jeff, real quick, how do I get saved? This is it. You turn from your sin... You ask Jesus. You place your faith in Him as Lord. That means boss, hesse, master. And He changes your life. 